Hey everybody, welcome to episode 44 of Junior Golf Keys. I'm your host, Matt, and I really appreciate you guys tuning in today. Um, Got an exciting guest for us. Before we jump into that, I just want to thank you. Um, I appreciate all the feedback that I've been getting from you guys, the comments, um, the reviews, uh, those types of things that really help the podcast. And uh, I'd like to ask you to do more of it if you could. If you've been listening to the show um, and you haven't had a chance to leave a review, please head over to the podcast platform that you use and uh, leave a review there so that, you know, you can let other people know about the show and, you know, the impact that you're taking away from it. Also, I would encourage you and invite you to share the episodes that you like, Um, you know, really trying to make sure that we get this out in front of as many people as we can. And I'm always encouraging you guys for feedback because I really am trying to build something that uh, is tailored to what you guys need to help you navigate your junior golf journeys. So I really appreciate you tuning in. Make sure that you connect with us. Uh, You can email me at juniorgolfkeys at gmail.com. You can also follow us at Junior Golf Keys on all the social media platforms. Um, And I'm excited about our guest this week. Our guest this week is the head men's golf coach at Oklahoma State University, Coach Bratton, Coach Alan Bratton. Uh, Coach has been at the helm uh, at Oklahoma State for Uh, Going on his eighth year since his time there, um, they have been in the top five in the NCAAs five different times. Uh, They've won a national championship under his watch. Uh, He's produced 23 All-Americans since he's been coaching at Oklahoma State, and he's had some really unique opportunities. Uh, Coach himself was a player um, at Oklahoma State where he was a four-time All-American, two-time academic All-American, and won seven times while he was at school at OSU. So um, the program culture, if you have followed college golf at all, the program culture and the history at Oklahoma State is uh, second to none. I mean, it's a really good program. Um, The culture has been a longstanding one. There have only been four coaches. Coach Bratton is the fourth head coach in the history of the program uh, dating back to 1947. So really had a great uh, opportunity to connect with him. Uh, you know, kind of dig into some information and hopefully bring you guys some value so that you can, you know, learn a little bit about, you know, college recruiting and coaching styles. Um, We're going to talk about some of his favorite coaching memories. He's got some good advice for players and parents. Uh, We talk about some of his favorite experiences and those types of things. So uh, I think you guys are really going to enjoy this episode. And, um, you know, before we get into the episode, you guys know that I brought on a partner golf kicks and I want to tell you a little bit about them. All right, before we get into this episode, I want to tell you about my partner, Golf Kicks. They've changed the game to help you bring your off-the-course shoe game on the course. They've got golf spikes that you can install on almost any pair of shoes. They've won some innovation awards with Golf Digest, My Golf Spy, and you might have even seen them closing a deal with Mark Cuban on Shark Tank. So it doesn't matter if you're a competitive junior, a weekend amateur, or you're teeing it up on the professional circuit, Golf Kicks adds some flavor and functionality to your game. And if you head over to golfkicks.com and use the promo code JGK20, they'll give you 20% off your order today. Now let's get to the show. All right, everybody, welcome back to this week's episode of Junior Golf Keys. 
I've got a great guest for us this week, the head, st- the head coach at Oklahoma State University, Coach Bratton. Coach, sir? I'm doing great, Matt. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to chatting and uh, seeing if we can bring some value to some of these junior golf families and uh, young players that are out there listening. Sounds good. I'm kind of going through withdrawal with the uh, pandemic. We're not allowed to get out on the road and, and watch any of these kids play. So I'm glued to the computer now that they're back playing golf and following scores yeah. around the country. There you go. There you go. When uh, any line of sight on when you guys will be able to get back out there? Well, right now it's August 1st, but yeah. you know I don't know if they're going to extend that or not. And uh, they obviously that has to come down from the NCAA. You can't really go institution by institution or even conference by conference so with the different environments in different part of the country different little places with uh, cases popping up we we don't really know so we'll do the best we can from here and at least now since june 15th has arrived we can actually communicate with with kids so that makes it a lot better yeah yeah for sure well it's exciting that you know we're seeing some play back out on the course and you know a couple weeks in now on the professional tours so it's exciting to you know, have some golf again. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. It's great. It's great to be a part of a sport that gets to be a leader in that, uh, you know, for the rest of the sports around the world to hopefully free people up that it may be okay to come out of your homes and, and actually get back to some sense of normal. Yeah, for sure. I, I actually read an article the other day uh, talking about just that. And I'm really happy I shared the article just uh, to be a part of, you know, as most of the folks know, and we were just talking about, I'm involved with the Corn Ferry Tour and uh, just exciting for them to get back out there. And like you said, leading the charge. And, you know, there's a lot of other leagues around the country uh, that are looking to the PGA Tour uh, for advice on what to do and how to operate and those types of things. So excited to get back out there and you know, see some competition for sure. Yeah, and it was great to see them stomach a, the first positive as well without, you know, shutting down the whole, the whole deal. So uh, I'm oh, sure yeah. that'll make In them better testing. for this week and, and going forward. Yep, yep, for sure, for sure. Um, well, I really appreciate you having you on. And um, obviously you've got a lot of really good experience um, from a playing perspective, from a coaching perspective. And, you know, this show is all about, you know, trying to help some of these junior golf families understand more about um, how they can help their children be successful. And there's obviously young players that are listening to that are, you know, picking up different tips and, um, you know, just trying to get a better understanding of what's going to help them in their journey. So um, could you maybe just start off and maybe a little bit of a, um, you know, just, uh, you know, smaller intro question, but I'm just curious how you got introduced to the game of golf and, you know, kind of, what your path has been. I mean, I've, I've done obviously my homework uh, and understanding, you know, where you've been and, you know, what your path is like, but just for the audience, can you kind of give us some context around your introduction to the game? Yeah, it's kind of interesting that I ever ended up being a golfer um, for a couple different things. No one in my family plays golf. Um, we had golf clubs in the garage when I was a kid. And, but my first introduction to the game of golf was, it probably was the first time I ever had a golf club in my hands. My brother and I were in the backyard just goofing off. Cause like I say, my dad didn't really play, but he had clubs and uh, my, my, uh, my brother was swinging and I was behind him and he had told me to scoot back a little bit. So I didn't get smoked. And um, <laughs> I was five years old. I didn't listen very well. So I scooted back for the time being. And then he started his swing and I moved back up and he clocked me 
right in the left side of my forehead, knocked, knocked me out. I had a concussion, had to go to the doctor that day. And um, kind of interesting, my dad came home early from work to check on me. And a lady ran a stop sign, crushed his car, totaled his car. He got stitched up on the same amount of stitches on the other side of his forehead by the, by the wow. same ER doctor that had stitched me up that morning. So that guy wondered what was going on at the Bratton household. But that, that was my first introduction to golf. So then I didn't play again. That, I was five. I didn't play again until I was 11. We had moved to Texas. Still no one in my family played, but we had good family friends that played all the time. And I was playing in a baseball tournament. My family went on vacation without me. That's where I rated in the family. I didn't, I didn't, uh, <laughs> didn't yeah, make the our cut. All-star baseball team made it a little farther than they were supposed to. So I was staying with our friends and uh, we ended up getting knocked out of the tournament and they took me out to play golf and, and I was hooked right away. Uh, I hit it pretty decent. I had played a lot of baseball. So um, just kind of used the baseball swing on a different plane. And I was kind of off and running from there. So I probably played four or five times that summer and a little bit throughout the year. And the next summer, we uh, joined the university golf course at Texas A&M, which is where I grew up. And uh, I started playing all summer long and eventually gave up other sports and uh, improved quickly. And not long after that, I started finding out about or starting to dream about playing college golf. And when I looked around, Oklahoma State was beating everyone, and that's where all the good players wanted to go. So I had a goal yeah. of kind of doing that. And uh, fortunately, I was motivated, a little extra motivation by the, the golf coach at Texas A&M at the time, talked to my high school coach. And I didn't know if I'd ever be good enough to go to Oklahoma State, but I certainly hoped that I could be. Really didn't know what that meant, but I just wanted to try to get good. And, and um, the A&M coach told my high school coach, well, he's crazy to think he can go there. He's never, ever going to be good enough to do that. And um, I just kind of filed that away and kept working hard. And I was fortunate enough to come to, uh, to play golf at Oklahoma State. And golf's been uh, wonderful to me ever since. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> you didn't just show up there. I mean, you, you, you uh, were a big contributor, a four-time All-American, and, you know, won seven times at Oklahoma State, um, which is huge. I mean, you guys won a national championship while you were there. And then just a couple of years ago, um, you completed an interesting cycle of national championships. One as a player, one as an assistant coach, and then as a head coach. Um, talk about those national championships a little bit. Yeah, I've been really fortunate. I've been uh, – I've had some people – um, in my life that really showed me what excellence was all about. Um, starting with my dad and, um, I saw a lot of similarities with my dad and Mike Holder when I came to Oklahoma state. And, um, even back to my recruitment, he spoke differently than these other coaches, no different than the A&M coach at the time, the way he said, well, you'll never be able to do that. Coach Holder didn't put any limits on you. And, um, hmm. You know, he told me how hard it was going to be to make the team and that I would likely have to redshirt. And other coaches spun that as uh, that was a bad thing. And fortunately, I was smart enough to recognize that, you know, that works in other sports. You've got a quarterback that, um, you know, you might redshirt, you might sit behind the starter for a year or two, but then you might win the Heisman Trophy. And I just wanted to get good. So I did redshirt my freshman year. 
So that, that was a part of another championship team. And that's, if I talk about my experience as a college golfer, my favorite year in school was the year that I redshirted. I didn't play a single <laughs> tournament, but I was a part of a team. And we sat down in the very first meeting that year. And, and Mike Holder told us we were going to win the national championship. And uh, I thought, oh, he must say that every year. You know, that's just something. And I got fired up. He's a great speaker and motivator. And we had a hell of a team that the year before was the best team in the country, but lost to Arizona State. So I'm sitting in that meeting. And and uh, again, I thought he must say that every year. I never heard him say it again in any first meeting, any of the years going forward. But that team, we had a what turned out to be a three-time first-team All-American and was probably the second or third best player in the country behind – he was maybe second behind Phil Mickelson. Kevin Wentworth was his name. Bob May was on the team at the time. And uh, we had several other guys that were really, really good. We, we we had a great team, and sure enough, we did win the championship. But that year, playing with those All-Americans and learning uh, – I got settled into school without having to travel. I, I learned a ton from those guys about – Again, what excellence was all about. I learned a lot from coach and that set me up uh, for to be a very good player the next few years. I tell people I learned how to play golf then. I'd never really competed against elite players other than, you know, the junior golf tournaments that I played where I'm playing against other, you know, kids my same age. I hadn't played a lot with older, uh, much more experienced players. So that year was huge for me. Uh, I met my best friend as well, who was my roommate, Chris Tidlin. Uh, we both redshirted, and then we both went on to be two-time first-team All-Americans and four-time All-Americans and um, had a great experience, closed out my college career, uh, winning the national championship, my last college tournament. Uh, felt a lot of pressure before that event because at that time, no one had gone through um, – four years of playing for Mike Holder without winning a national championship. And Chris and I, we had had great careers and this is going to be our last event. We didn't want to set the bad trend of being the first first (laughs) guys to go out the the wrong way. And uh, so that was a wonderful cap. We, we, we did win the championship that week. And um, so got to go out on top and, and um, it's funny. I I have uh, a ring from that championship and, uh, I don't wear them very often. My kids used to love to hide them from me and, and think that I'd be <laughs> really mad. And, and I, I got to explain to them just what those rings mean. You know, it's not so much about the, the piece of jewelry or this is how I feel about trophies too. You know, sure. it's, it's what I sure. think about uh, the five-year experience that I had all the time, just growing up and, and becoming a man with, with my team, my best friends, my coaches all that great time that we had together. And um, that's what I think about with my college experience. And that's what I try to impart on our team. Um, And for all the junior golfers out there, that's being a college golf is really, really special. The NCAA championship is a very unique event. Uh, The, 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 the the most special thing about college golf is you get a chance to be on a team. You, you don't get to do that in golf ever again. You, you get together for the Walker Cup or the Ryder Cup or the Palmer Cup for a week. You're not a real team. Yeah. Uh, college golf, you've actually, you know, high school golf kids could get it as well. It's just rare that you have a group of kids that are, you know, probably equally motivated and super talented. But you get that chance right. in college. 
And, and again, you don't, you don't get it again. So it's a really special time. The NCAA championship special in that you only get to play it four times. It doesn't matter who you are. Um, right. You know, you, you can play the U S amateur for life. You can play the U S open. If you're just good enough, the NCAA championship, you only get four shots at it. So um, that those were special weeks for me. I was fortunate uh, to be a part of another uh, impactful person. I, I was assistant coach for Mike McGraw uh, for seven years. And, um, you know, I've never met a finer person, a mentor for kids. I told him he must sleep great every night because there wasn't a week go by that someone that he mentored in his life didn't come back and, um, uh, come to see him to have lunch or something like that. So winning a championship in 2006 with him as the assistant coach, we had a special group of guys. We had uh, two brothers, uh, Trent Leon and Tyler Leon, that as far as I know, they're the only brothers to win a championship together. Um, you know, we had a fifth-year senior on that team that did everything right. He had redshirted, uh, four-point student. And then we had two National Player of the Year candidates. That year, they ended up being the freshman of the year, Jonathan Moore, and then the player of the year, Pablo Martin. So Pablo had actually, actually went on to win a European tour event the next year. And uh, they won that. Coming from behind, again, we had what we felt like was the best team. But the way that week played out, I've got wonderful memories uh, from that. And then flash forward to 2018, getting to host the championship here at Karsten Creek. We had hosted in Stillwater um, in 1973, then 2003, and then uh, 2011, and had been runner-up each time. And uh, we came in with a dominant team. And, and again, that, that year uh, was super special to be able to win in front of your fans and to do it with another guy that's been super impactful for me, uh, another best friend, our assistant coach, Donnie Dar. Um, he's probably the best coach I've been around, and I, I would tell you that I played for Mike Holder, who's thought of as the best college golf coach and um, one of the best coaches regardless of sport. And I would put Donnie yeah. up there with anybody. The way he coaches me up every day, mentors our guys. It was really special to, um, you know, ha- have him as as a, you know, co-pilot along with that special group of guys that to to deliver a championship like that that our fans have been waiting for um, since we first hosted the championship here in 1973. So the NCAA championship is always my my favorite week of the year. It was as a player, and it's continued to be as a coach. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you're uh, looking forward to 2021, obviously this year with COVID-19. Unfortunately, we didn't get to have that experience, Um, but hopefully that's shorter lived and we can get back into it in the next season. I sure hope so. You know, right now we're all focused on at least here at Oklahoma state, every sport. Um, You can't get selfish. Just think about your sport. We're trying to get football to be played. And uh, if we can get that to go, then I think the other sports will follow suit. And, um, so that's what we're gunning for, but yeah, hopefully we're back to more normal. I'm really excited about the group that we have. Uh, we're going to have a deep team. That's a, a great combination of, of depth and youth and talent. And I uh, couldn't be more excited. Was really disappointed when they shut down the season. Our team was, um, coming on. I really liked the improvement. We focus on that obviously every single day, just trying to help each player get better. And if we do that, then our team's going to get better. And we were trending the right way. Um, 
and was, you know, excited to see what we could do. We thought we did a good job of coaching as we went through the year with a young team. And, and uh, hopefully we can build on that and just pick up where we left off. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you guys had some nice finishes in the fall and a couple of top tens in the spring as well, or top fives, I guess, in the spring as well. Um, nice momentum, hopefully going into summer for these guys and then into next year for sure. Um, you guys have definitely built a culture at Oklahoma state. You know, there haven't been very many head coaches there over time. Um, and I think that that's probably helped instill some of that culture. And obviously, you know, you being a former player and coming back, you know, just being ingrained in, you know, what Oklahoma state is all about, um, super important, but I want to go back to something that you mentioned coach Holder saying to you, and you said that he taught you what excellence is all about. Um, but didn't really go into that. So I guess my question is like, what, what did he share with you in terms of what excellence is all about and how do you uh, pass that on to your, your players and the team that's around you? Yeah, that, that's um, he's, he was amazing at that. I thought I knew what good was. I, I grew around, a, I grew up around a proud university. My whole family went to Texas A&M and um, went to all the football games. They were good, but they didn't contend for, national championships in football or anything like that. I came here to Oklahoma state and um, you talked about the culture around the golf program. That's certainly important. Uh, We feel like we've done that uh, better than everyone else over the years. And and you're exactly right. That comes from the people involved at that time. When I got here, we'd only had two coaches, Laban Harris for 20 some years and Mike Holder uh, ended up being the golf coach here for 32 years. And, but if you look around the university, at that time, Oklahoma State, and even now, has won 52 national championships, which is more than all but three schools. And we have wow. the minimum number of sports to be Division One between between men and women. And, right. you know, at again, when I got here in the 80s, our baseball team was going to the College World Series every single year, contending for a national championship. We contend for the championship in um, wrestling every year. The golf team was always up there. Coach Holder had a stretch of 13 years in a row where the worst we finished, we only finished outside of the top two once, and that was fourth. You know, 13 wow. years. Think about that. That's, that's a long time. Sure. So, um, and then our basketball team had won a couple championships, and uh, Eddie Sutton came on board when I got here, and I used to go to his practices and just pay attention to um, – people that demand excellence just before I got here, you had a football team that although the football team wasn't the greatest, they were good for a short stretch there, but you had guys like um, Thurman Thomas and Barry Sanders in the same backfield two hall of fame, right. You know, running backs. So something about this place was showing you that if you, if you, you know, dream big and work towards that and think about what you want to happen, there's nothing keeping you from doing it. And that's the message that we heard every single day. So, and, and then coach didn't, um, didn't let you slip the standard that he held you to. He didn't throw compliments around easily. Uh, so when he told you um, someone was good, you could take it to the bank or that you did something good. You could take it to the bank. And again, he wasn't always patting you on the back. He made things tough so that you would be ready you know, come crunch time. And the other thing he did is he didn't ask us to do anything that he wouldn't do. Uh, If we were practicing, he practiced with us and he practiced harder than we did. 
if we were working out, he was working out with us and he was doing it better. So I just had an example of excellence that he exhibited and demanded from us every day that was even more than you might hold for yourself. And then as I looked around the campus, I saw that same kind of environment. We're a small school in the middle of nowhere. There's not a whole lot to do here. Um, yet across the board in athletics, we were really, really good. And when I say really good, that meant contending for the conference championship and the national championship every single year. So, um, we try to yep. deliver that same thing to our players now and help them to understand what a responsibility it is when you come here as a player to all the people that came before you. And uh, we've got a lot of plaques on the wall, a lot of trophies, a lot of ac academic All-Americans as well. So we try to hold our guys to that standard across the board. And um, again, that responsibility is a little extra motivation to work hard every day and I always felt like that was a 15th club uh, for me. Uh, some people that could be suffocating the expectations. Um, for me, sure. that was always a 15th club. And when I took over as the head coach, um, I had people ask me that reporters and whatnot, you know, oh, well, the expectations, you know, you, everything's been done at Oklahoma state, which is true. Um, we told our team that in 2018, that it's very rare to have a chance to do something that hasn't been done around here other than the negative things. And that year we had a chance yep. to win the most tournaments in a row that an Oklahoma state team had ever done. Uh, we tied the record. We had a chance to, to, to break it, but didn't, but still won 10 times and um, won the stroke play and the match play that year in 2018. So again, I try to deliver that same kind yep. of stuff. It's why I wanted to be a college coach. I wanted to be a tour player, which I did play the PJ tour just didn't stick. But uh, when I thought about things that I could do if golf, if playing golf didn't work out, that, that I wouldn't hate. And uh, I felt like if I could, I loved my experience as a college golfer. And if I could help other people experience a, something similar to that, that I'd be really happy and, and hopefully successful. And, and uh, I hope that our players are having that same kind of experience and would would speak about their college golf experience in the same way yeah um we've obviously done a very good job and you sound like you're happy about it um and i can imagine that you know some of the other players that have come through and, and played under you and some of the other coaches that have been there too would would uh say some very similar words about the program but i'm, I'm really interested to to get your take on something you mentioned, um, you know, coach, coach Holder having high standards and not, um, you know, not really giving out compliments, you know, unless deserved, obviously, or they were, I, I don't know, few and far between is the, the right terminology, but I guess what I'm getting at is, um, you know, in the culture of junior golf, I think one of the things that parents um, struggle with or questioning is, you know, how can, how can they be the most supportive parent out there? Um, you know, I think positive reinforcement and encouragement and those things are important, but we could also get too far in the realm of delusion, right. And not, um, you know, just, you know, reinforcing on instances that actually, you know, deserve that type of attention. So I'm just kind of curious what your thoughts about that are from a parenting perspective. I mean, you've got three kids yourself, what is that 
look like or what advice can you give to some of these junior golf parents that are listening about that? Yeah, I would. Um, that's, that's a great question. I think it's needed. Um, you mentioned the word delusion. There, there is a lot of that running rampant in youth sports in general. And, um, you know, some of that I think is a product of they have so many, there's so many good events for kids to play. The AJGA does a wonderful job of creating these events that feel like a big time deal. And um, one thing for uh, parents to realize, I mean, there's so many people that think their kid is going to just be the next elite player and that they're going to turn pro out of high school and, and go on and do great things, which maybe they can. And certainly there are cases of that, but that's rare. It's very hard to over-prepare for the PGA Tour. And I don't think there's any other profession where you can be number 126 in the world and lose your job. And the the pool of talent, you can have such a long career on the PGA Tour that you have to beat the best of the best over a 20 to 25-year stretch. And there's no shortcuts. So... One of the, the, the two big things that I would advocate to parents, and I tell recruits and parents all the time, is one, I think a lot of times kids and families travel too much and play too many. You know, you don't have to leave your state to play all the events and get your kid um, to develop. It doesn't matter who the best 12-year-old, the best 15-year-old, is in the country, you know, they, they need to develop at their, at their pace. And you're hopefully gonna, there's so many things that you have to deal with on a golf course that are different than other sports. You know, every basketball court is exactly the same. You don't have wind, you know, the shot is the shot is the shot. The only thing that changes is the situation in golf. You have lots of situations and there's no two shots that are exactly the same. So, that experience, just like growing up in life, um, is important in making those decisions. So you certainly need to play and compete, but you don't have to break the bank traveling all over the world to do it and make those things special. That's one thing that I see in kids is, is they'll, they'll play all these events and there's just there's another event next week. So there's, no, there's not as much of a sting or a hurt if they don't perform. Help them learn how to gear up for things that are bigger than others Um, and then don't run off from your level too quickly if you become the best player in your town well then stretch yourself and see if you're the best player in the state but still play some local stuff if you're the best player in the state then go and try to play be the best player in your region but still come back and play against your local people Um, you need to learn what it's like to when it's no big deal to win and then you need to stretch yourself, but not too far. You know, it, it, it doesn't do a kid any good to play in the U.S. Open at 13 years old, probably, other than they can right. say they did. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's so much over their head. So just let the competition kind of drive that. Have some schedule that stretches you uh, to a degree, but then fall back and play people that you're supposed to beat. There's real lessons that you learn in succeeding in that environment and failing. And then the other things is don't protect your kids too much. It's okay to fail. Adversity and learning to deal with that 
those are the real separators over time. Um, so that's the advice that I would give. I hope that makes sense. Um, but you know, you see kids, they, they feel like that, you know, they may become the best player in their state and then they never play any low, you know, the state junior again or things like that. And, and then everybody thinks because they can beat other teenagers that they're the next Tiger Woods. Um, right. And college is so much about for everybody going to college and golf's no different. There are kids that may, maybe, you know, physically, maybe their game is ready uh, to go on to professional golf, but there's so many things like we said, like I said, just so many element elements to being a professional. And then you don't want to jump past and try to beat people. You have to have people to beat. It's okay to come to college. Maybe if you, even if you are elite and, whip those people and then get some access to some professional golf, go see what that's like while still being able to come back and compete against your peers. It's a, it's a protection, a little bit of get away from home, grow up, have to deal with school that they may not like, um, you know, but learn to do things that you don't like to do, have some adversity while still having, you know, some uh, a go between before you just jump off the deep end into the world of professional golf where it's very cutthroat nobody cares about you and if you don't produce results nobody cares right right no i think i mean i've had um other high level college coaches and some professionals that have almost mirrored exactly your response in terms of you know stretching yourself and learn how to win and you know those types of things and I think it's so important right now because we're just seeing so many of these young players I mean you said two of them graduate or not graduate because Matthew left early but um, you know two guys come out of Oklahoma State last year that won on tour and Matthew Wolf and, and Victor and um, I think we're seeing that across the board. I think the winning score at the junior PGA this year was like 22 under or something like that. So players are going lower and lower. It feels like, and especially on corn Ferry and on the PGA tour. So, you know, learning how to do that um, is, is a skill, right. That you, that you acquire by putting yourself in the position to, to be able to learn how to win. I would say as well that the and yeah, we talk about this all the time, and I think our players probably get a little different message from us um, than a lot of places be, because of the collective experiences uh, around our program, whether that's me, Donnie, Coach Holder, former players. Um, you know, we talk about just get good. Um, one of the mm-hmm. great things with golf in, in, and as much as I talk about how difficult it is, a path to the PJ Tour, um, you can do it if you're just good enough. They can't keep you out. It's That's not right. like football where someone has to give you an opportunity. You know, college golf, you have to be given an opportunity. You have to be invited into a program. And, and I'm wrong all the time. We might think, oh, that kid's not good enough to come to, to fit into our program. But, you know, you can be a good player anywhere. And they go on and you control your fate. Um, so, but again, there's no shortcuts, there's no magic, you know, um, there's always value in getting better. And if you just take care of that, then, um, they can't keep you out. And people tend to think, oh, I'm going to, you know, collegiate players, everybody thinks there's some magic to the timing of when you turn pro. Um, 
And there's obviously risks and financial components that go into all of that. Um, but if you just get good, that doesn't go away. Uh, when Ricky Fowler was here, I felt like he was good enough to win on the PGA Tour. And he proved mm-hmm. that in that, oh, he turned pro in September and his second PGA Tour event, he lost in a playoff. Well, he didn't, right. he didn't improve because he called himself a pro. He was good enough to contend. And as he, you know, where he needed to go, the things he needed to learn, the tour was a great place to go do that. Now there was value in him coming back and, and that, you know, as well. So we talked through all of that before he made the decision. And that was no different with, with Matt and, and Victor, um, right. You know, Victor was fortunate to gain a ton of experience on the PGA tour for the fact that he had won the U S amateur. It was, that made uh, sponsors exemptions accessible and he gained a lot of experience out there. So he didn't have to wonder where he fit in on the tour. And Matt was fortunate to at least get to play one PGA tour event before he went out there. So uh, really proud of those guys and they're great ambassadors for us and the program as, as they, you know, go out there and make their career. I talked to both of them this week and it's just, it's shocking that they've already been pros for a year. It is. It really is. And both have won in that first year. Yeah, and I hope they rack up a lot of wins. I'm excited to see what Matt can do. I talked to him on Sunday, and he was super excited about where his game was. And, and um, you know, we talked through some of his experience here and good things and how he went about his business. And and um, really blessed that, that he continues to lean on us for as a sounding board uh you know, while he's out there and Victor still lives here, both of them come back a lot, but Victor still lives here. So we get to uh, continue to be a part of his life uh, on a consistent basis. Yeah. And that's great. And that speaks to the culture, like you were talking about earlier of, you know, players coming back and, you know, sharing their experiences and helping some of the, you know, other players that are coming into the program or that are, you know, kind of in the middle of their journey at OSU. So um, I I don't want to be redundant, but I guess, could you go a little bit deeper into what is making some of these Oklahoma state players um, so successful coming right, right out of Stillwater? Well, again, it's, it's all, however you want to quantify culture. One, we do talk about how if, if you can dream it, you work for it, you think about what you want, it can happen. And, and again, the whole, just get better, um, you know, just get good. If you're good enough, they yep. can't keep you out. And I would point another uh, success story that people um, maybe hasn't gotten as much of attention as Matt and Victor is Chris Ventura, who sure. um, was on our 2018 team as well. He went to um, tour school. Um, another thing you'll hear us talk about that um, I had one of our veteran players uh, from Oklahoma State that was around the program, David Edwards. He still lives here in town. When I was in school, he talked uh, just very straightforward about, again, just just get good. They can't keep you out. He said, you know, what's the big deal with tour school? You know, you've heard it. I've heard it. Everybody talks about the pressure at tour school, right? You you hear that all the time. Oh, my gosh, the pressure is so big. Well, guess who you have to beat at tour school? Who do you have to beat at tour school, Matt? Other pros. Yep. Guys that aren't on the PGA Tour. If you're at tour school, you're not on the PGA Tour anymore. You may have had success. So your goal in going to tour school is to get out onto 
now it's the Corn Ferry Tour or the PJ Tour. But again, who do you? Sure. If you go to tour school now, those guys aren't on the Corn Ferry Tour. They've been on, come off. Some of them been on the PJ Tour. Not that you can't miss, right. but if you're afraid of that, how good are you going to do on the tour? So yeah. we've prepared our guys for that because it's an absolute fact. Nobody can dispute it. You can certainly miss. You can have a bad week and miss. But guess what? If yeah. you're ready to make a living on the PGA Tour, you're going to go through some other tour over that time, and they can't keep you out. You can go Monday qualifying and then win. Like Cor- it was a Corey Connors, I think, did that last year. Um, yeah, he did. You know, just playing good golf takes care of everything. So Chris Ventura um, – I think we've done a good job of helping our guys be ready for that environment and for the adversity to come. So Chris Ventura turns pro, plays some, got some exemptions, didn't do anything, goes to, had to go to the pre-qualifying, makes it, makes it from the pre-qualifying all the way through to um, the finals of the Corn Ferry Tour School. And mm-hmm. oh, two weeks before, he has to get his appendix taken out. Yeah. So the first round of golf he played – was at tour school that week and obviously coming off a of surgery you're not going to play very good so he only beat a couple people but he had status which that's what you need you you want status again because if you play good enough you just play your way right up so chris comes into that corn fairy season his number doesn't get in he tries to qualify he doesn't get in he doesn't get in he makes it into one and he misses the cut um he gets into another i want to say it's end of may early june he gets a sponsor's exemption and he finishes third, I think. So that's going to reshuffle him up where he gets to play a bunch of events. Right. Right. Well, the tour has a rule that you have to commit. Now, Chris didn't know this being a rookie out there and it's an absolutely ridiculous rule, but he's a member of the tour. He wasn't going to get in. So he hadn't committed to the event. And I knew from experience of playing out there that they ask you, at least they used to on the first tee. Hey, if you top 25, are you going to play the next week? Well, now apparently they don't ask you, but he was in the scoring tent for a while afterwards. Didn't nobody ever asked him. He didn't commit. So he finished third, should have got him in the next week. And then the reshuffle would have got him in the rest of the season. Well, he didn't get to play the next week. So he was ready for that adversity. uh, Didn't get to play, but reshuffled up based on the third place finish goes and plays well in Wichita and then wins the following week. And then he won again on the corn Ferry tour and got his tour card. Um, so he's another example of, and we talked a ton through all of that, but he was so mature in how he handled all of those things. And we had talked to him about much like the junior golf stuff. You don't have to play a lot. You need to play well when you play. It's really hard as a professional, whether it's PJ tour or corn Ferry tour, especially as a young guy, and I lived that and I failed at it of taking a week off, even when you're, yep. when you're in the tournament. But I'm really proud of Chris and how he's making it through the early parts of his professional career. Um, mm-hmm. So, again, the, it, it's not like it's just me and Coach Dar. It's the program. Chris had had tons of guys to talk with, Victor and Matt. Our former players do a great job of staying connected, whether that be veterans like Scott Verplank or Bob Tway or uh, veterans like Charles Howell, Bo Van Pelt, there's a, or, or younger guys uh, that they have a chance to talk to like Ricky or Taylor Gooch or Kevin Doherty, different guys that stay connected, have a lot of pride in that swinging Pete logo. And they want to see our guys 
succeed. That's very rare again in professional golf because it's a cutthroat sport. And when a young player comes out there, they're trying to take their job, but our guys get to go out there with um, a family that cares about them and has that experience to help push them down the learning curve. And they get to know those guys while they're in school. So they're not then building that relationship when they're out there on the tour, they already have it and they're comfortable to use those guys to help learn and navigate the very difficult task of having a career in the game. Yeah. I mean, more and more you see, you know, it feels like everybody that's out there competing has a team around them. And this feels like an extra layer that, um, you know, really helps with that transition and just overall success of those players that are coming up. Yeah. It's a really lonely endeavor golf in general, but certainly professional golf and uh, to have other people around you that you can lean on that know what they're talking about that are smart sure. and that care about you, uh, that's invaluable. And, and I think that's really played a part in our guys' success for a long, long time. That's nothing new. That was started with uh, guys years ago that played for Labor and Harris that went on to the tour that looked out for guys. And then obviously through the years, that's a sense of pride that our guys take in, in trying to help, uh, help our young guys when they get out there into professional golf. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, we've got a lot of young players that listen to this podcast and uh, 99.9% of them have aspirations of going on and playing at the highest collegiate level that they can. And I think there's a large percentage of them as well that want to go play professionally. And we've talked about how difficult that is. Can you just dig in a little bit deeper on what's the difference? What's, what's the transition like from junior golf to college golf? And then from what's the major separator differentiators between college golf and professionals? Um, that's a good question. Um, you know, I I think at any level you have to continue to improve. And so there's always a danger of whatever level you get to, which this happens, I think a lot. And, And it, expectations can be suffocating for people. Uh, so again, you, you come into, you know, if you're being recruited at an elite, you know, a top program, you're usually at the top of the rankings, right? So you feel like you've arrived. And one thing as a young player, you don't, you probably discount, you're not aware of the people one, two, and three classes ahead of you and how good they were. Uh, and if programs are doing their job, which I think college golf is as strong as it's ever been, players are going to get better if they keep that kind of growth mentality. So there's a lot of kids that come in and they're a hotshot junior golfer, but one, you have to recognize anybody going to college, it's an adjustment. You're no longer living at home. You've got to take care of things. You know, uh, you've got responsibilities that you haven't, didn't have before, and, uh, and then you have these new people, these strangers around you that you need to get to know. So, um, you know, some kids transition really well with that. Some kids are good enough that, you know, they fit right in and they play. But some kids struggle a little bit and they may be elite players and they can think, you know, oh, my gosh, what's wrong? What is the world going to think? I'm not making the lineup because, again, everybody thinks that they've got to play every single tournament. Well, you know. Again, I'm an advocate of, I, I told you earlier, my favorite year was the year I didn't play a single tournament. And right. we feel like if we're doing our job, we have freshmen play every single year. And, but we also have guys that develop slower. And if we're doing our job and our players that are in the program have been in it one, two, three years, if they're getting better 
that should be hard for a freshman to break in the lineup. But that's True. the best thing you can have is people that can beat you. Because if you're competitive and you're driven and you pay attention, well, then you're going to get better as well. So, um, yeah. you know, that that's one of the things is, is one, just, uh, I guess, giving people a little bit of respect that, that you're not the only good player out there. Uh, okay. So that's one thing. And then the same kind of transition to the tour, um, you know, you start over in golf. You know, you, you, again, if you come into college, nobody cares what your junior record was anymore. It's about right now. Let's go put up a score and, and let's continue to improve. So we're preaching that all the time. And then a recognition that the same thing happens at the next level. Now, uh, with the PJ Tour University program that they've just started, you can earn some status um, on the tours from your performance in college. So that's a game changer, and that's a little bit of a difference maker. But then again, adjusting right. to that next level is the similar thing. Just your pool of talent is bigger. Um, you know, your livelihood depends on um, what, you know, it's very cutthroat, just straightforward. If you shoot low, you make money. If you don't, you're down the road. So you got to prepare for that toughness and then recognize that the, the, the cream's going to rise to the top. And um, we try to, again, we're encouraging our players because nothing can keep you out of the tour if you get good enough. But at the same time, you have to recognize that there's a lot of levels that our kids never see, and it's a big world as well. One of the big sure. learning curves for me was when I – uh, I was the national player of the year as a junior and second or third best in the country as a senior, partly because Tiger Woods came in as a freshman. Um, <laughs> but, um, and then I went at that time, there was no, you know, way to earn your way. You had to go through tour school. So, but I didn't make it through the tour school and I played in Asia and I saw, I got to see how many good players there were in the world. So you get a perspective of, wow, you know, it's not just beating this small pool of people in junior golf or a, a bigger pool, but, but still small in college golf and, and a four years worth of peers to now I've got 25 years worth of peers from all around the world. So you just have yeah. to recognize that. You don't have to be afraid of it. Just respect it. Realize if you get good enough, everything takes care of itself and go about putting your head down and busting your butt to try to get there. So uh, the difference in the tour, again, it just kind of weeds that out that the best professionals, they figure out what their strengths are and they just decide to be themselves. Um, mm. That was one of the things that Matt and I talked about this week that, you know, he's continuing to learn because you can hear that all you want. You can go out there, but that's some of the things that, that he's learning. He doesn't have to change anything. Just be yourself have a predictable yeah. ball flight, figure out what you do and do it well. And, yep. um, you know, that's kind of your differences between college and professional golf. Um, you know, it, it's hard to outwork people out there in professional golf. It's certainly hard to out birdie people. So you have to minimize mistakes, but you're going to do that by identifying your strengths, your weaknesses and play to your strengths and go do, do those and do them well and uh, shut out all the noise of, of people out there, whether that's them saying you need to change your golf swing to do something or who knows what the world says. You've got to be adept at shutting out those distractions and letting your skills shine. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I know you mentioned Matthew. That's 
obviously there's a lot of attention on his swing and, you know, how he makes his move. Um, I had a similar conversation with Kucher a couple years ago, and it was interesting to hear him talk about just, you know, how, you know, him and his instructor, you know, they just work on, I want to produce a certain ball flight. And if I can do that and repeat my, my swing and do it my way and hit, you know, hit the shot that I want to hit, then that's all I'm trying to accomplish here. But obviously, like you said, it takes some time um, or at least it takes a conscious effort to block out that noise and just stick to, you know, what you trust and, you know, what the team around you is, you know, helping you move forward. The best advice you can get probably as a professional golfer, when someone says, how do you hit it? Tell them you hit it the same. Um, I have a a good friend of mine, Chris Tidlin, told me a story about uh, Kip Henley caddied for Brian Gay Mm -hmm. for a long time. And Brian's a good friend. We played junior golf against each other. We got our tour cards the same year. And uh, I played my way into a job and he played his way into a fantastic career on the PGA Tour. But um, Chris would ask Kip, how's he hitting it today? And he'd say, he's got a heavy, you know, accent. Chris, he's hitting it the same. He hits it the same every single day. And, <laughs> and that's – I've always borrowed that and, and made that as a goal for – if you could build that into your ball hitting, and that's what you want. You want it to be predictable, and you'd love to feel the same and hit it the same every single day. If you do that, you can go play the game at a very, very high level. And I think that gets missed a lot of times. Kids are trying to change all the time. And um, mm. one of the things that I really respect – um, not having uh, still understanding what it's like to be a player is, um, you know, and golf instruction can be a dangerous place because if you, if you teach a beginner, um, there's a whole lot of things you can tell them that are going to make them better. Not that many that'll make them worse. Right. The more elite the player, that goes in the reverse. You know, if you have a, yeah, a Ricky Fowler or a Matt Wolf come in that are super talented from the get go, it becomes, again, trying to help them understand what they do, because there's a whole lot of things you can tell them that are going to make them worse and not right. that many. You know, you, you just have to be selective. It's not that they can't get better because there's tons to learn. And there still is for Matt and Victor and Chris Ventura and even Ricky and Charles Howell or whoever, guys, you never stop learning. But uh, the more elite the player, the bigger the risk in anything that you tell them, because it's pretty easy to screw that up. Golf is is uh, and good golf is elusive. And I think that's why you see people, um, you know, have great performances one week and then they might miss the cut the next week. It's just that's just kind of the nature of the game. So you're always trying to battle to um, be the same be repeatable and and shut out the noise of the world that so many times is well intentioned, you know? Sure. Uh, And it takes a lot of guts and courage to Tiger Woods might give you advice that he really thinks is going to help you. And it may or may not be good for you. You really have to have a thick filter to decide, you know, do I take that advice or or not? So we, we encourage our players, Ricky, for example, or Matt uh, again, try to, there's certain things, that you can't get otherwise, you know, how do you manage being a star on the PJ tour? Well, you need to talk to some stars, you know, I, I sure. can't tell them what that's like. I know that yeah. I know them as kids. And um, that's one of the things we tell our players when we come in, there's, there's a lot uh, for a while while they're here, there's not very many things they can do that we don't have personal experience with either having done it 
or uh, some a player here that we've observed do it. Or, or but there's certain things they're going to go on that then that's going to go run away uh, from us, and I'll try to surround them with the resources that do have first person experience with that. So um, that's the way we try to lead our guys. Share where we're coming from encourage them again, maybe tell them, we tell our players, why can't you win on the PGA tour as an amateur? We've had two people do that. Next step is someone to win a major. You know, you mentioned Matt Kuchar. He had a chance. He got in contention in a couple of majors. It's doable. And, uh, but that's the balance is to be real with them and let them know they can do those things while at the same time, let them know the difficulty of the endeavor. And that's not to squash any dream. It's just, Hey, You've got this big dream and these are the things you have to do to get there. And that's how we go about every single day. And, um, you know, we've had success helping uh, set the table and prepare those guys for it. And we need to keep attracting the right kind of kids uh, so we can continue to do that. Yeah. Well, I'm excited for you guys in the program and you've definitely done a good job of it historically. And, you know, culture will keep rolling that, you know, down the right road, I think, um, you know, with you at the helm. So uh, as we move towards wrapping up, I know you talked about your favorite moment as a player in college, and that may be your favorite moment ever uh, in golf, but I'm, I'm curious if there's a favorite coaching moment for you or a coaching memory that just really stands out um, as, as above the other ones. Well, I'll, um, I'm going to narrow it down to a, to a couple. Uh, I'll pick okay. a favorite, but I, I'll share several favorites. So um, ultimately my favorite moment as a player was when we won the national championship in 1995, my, my last college tournament. It was just such a culmination of everything and a, and a group of guys that was, that was special to me. So as far as me as a player, that's my favorite moment. And um, my favorite coaching moment uh, I had Coach Holder ask me just a few days after we won the championship in 2018, and he asked, was it better to, to win as a player or as a coach? And my initial thought two days after was player, 100%. Club was in my hands. I had control. But as I kind of reflected and listened to everyone around our program and really let it sink in what we had done in 2018, I would say yep. – I, I actually have changed my mind. My favorite moment in golf was, um, again, that week, that season, to be able to provide that, look back at the coverage of all the people that care about our program because it's beyond the players here at Oklahoma State. We've got fans and boosters and, and all kinds of people that um, support our program like no other. And to be able to do that in front of them and in front of my family for my wife to be there by, by my side, uh, get to spend the championship with her that week, to watch her go around and cheer with our friends and for my kids to be there. Um, I'll never trump that. You know, we yep. never do anything again in golf. I'll, I'll never uh, be able to, to relive that, I don't think. Um, so that certainly has become my favorite moment in, in golf uh, for sure. And I mentioned my wife, Oklahoma State, and playing golf here. I would have never met her either. So uh, I've been blessed all the way around by golf and Oklahoma State golf. Uh, The other two favorite, um, I think, coaching moments would have been uh, caddying for Peter Uline when he won the U.S. Amateur on his birthday in 2010. And um, 
I didn't realize he'd run that on his birthday. That was at Chambers Bay, right? Yeah, yeah. We've had two guys win USGA championships on their birthday. Peter Uline in 2010 on his 21st birthday. Kevin Tway, I believe it was his 17th birthday, he won the U.S. Junior. Um, okay. So pretty special there. And then also the, the week on the bag with Victor Hovland winning the USAM. Yep. <laughs> for both Pebble, of those guys, Pebble what Beach. that did for their career and to be – standing by their side and you know i mentioned the moment in 2018 that was in um last week of may to then go just a couple months later in august with victor to watch him come into that week not playing very well not very confident to by the time we were rolling through match play he was playing the best golf of his life and what that did for his career going forward uh, to be standing by players sides like that is um you know, as much as I like having the clubs in my hand, it's, it's way more <laughs> rewarding to be standing there and play a small part of, um, of their success. Yeah. Yeah. Those are, those are definitely special moments for a coach and a player. So thanks for sharing those. I appreciate it. Um, and the last thing I have just to wrap us up, something I do at the end of the show uh, every week is I kind of pass the baton over uh, to the guest and ask you to just fire back a question or two at me um, about this project, about, you know, my opinion on something um, about me, uh, whatever you got, really, I know I didn't prepare you for it, but just something curious what's on your mind or what might uh, pop up through our conversation. Okay. Uh, I'll throw out there a question about this PGA tour university. You're involved with running uh, events on the corn Ferry tour. What do you think about that? And, um, you know, as kids, that, that's a huge boom for college golf, whether that's helping us recruit international players, giving them a reason to come over. But would love to hear your opinion from, uh, you know, tour, tournament organizer, tournament director perspective. I, I really like I, I, I love the addition. Um, one thing I'm interested in to see how it's going to play out, though, is, you know, I think you see, you know, some of your players that um, – not all of them, but there's a, there's a large segment of players that leave early that have success on the tour. And I know that this program, um, I, th- I, th- I believe if I understand it correctly, they've got to stay for four years at the university. So I don't know what that does. I, it'll just be interesting to see how it plays out. But what I think it will do is, you know, some of those players that leave early are, are ready and they're going to go have success on tour. So I think that some of the others that stay and play all the way through, if they're ranked, you know, it, it gives more opportunity, I think, to more players. So I, I think it's a positive change personally. Yeah, it's certainly not going to keep everyone in school, um, but it, it allows kids to make better decisions. And I think you will see players um, stay a little bit longer. You're going to have, man, if I'm, uh, one, the financial um, lure is going to go down with the coronavirus and the, the big hit that golf companies are taking. Uh, right. They can weigh out, wow, if I just stay another year, I can actually go out there with a runway to success because they actually get a year and a half worth of status on the Corn Ferry Tour uh, sure. from the program. So, But a, yep. a, a next step and a natural progression is uh, for players in college to earn um, – opportunities as amateurs in corn ferry events or even opposite PGA tour events. That's a, a next step that yeah. I would love to see that would help just in, ensure again, even if those guys leave a little early, they would gain more experience 
um, as, as amateurs. So, um, yeah, I agree. I think, um, I, I think it, it'll be interesting to your point, you know, with some of the, the top players that maybe, I think, I think most of them that are the top players have, you know, the opportunity to go play in an event or two or get some exemptions along the way. But yeah, there may be a couple that stay a little bit longer because if they are at the top of their game in the college ranks, you know, they have a really good shot at a, maybe a more clear path to get to the tour. Well, at least they, they've got status, having status and, and not having right. the opportunity to go straight to the PGA tours from a tour school perspective. Um, right. You know, it's, it's going to keep a few more kids in. It's just a natural partnership, I think, from college golf uh, I agree. To, the, to the PGA Tour. I agree. I agree. Um, well, that's all I've got, Coach. Well, this has been great. I really ap- appreciate the time. And, and um, you know, anytime you want me on, I'm glad to come back. I love talking golf and, and uh, elite golf especially, and especially if junior golfers are listening. Hopefully it – it touches somebody and inspires them and turns them on to Oklahoma state. Yeah, absolutely. I think it definitely will. Um, I appreciate you, you know, sharing some stories and sharing some of your experience and would definitely love to have you back at some point. So thanks a lot for your time. Sounds great. Thanks, Matt. All right, Alan, have a great day. Bye-bye. Well, that wraps up episode 44 of junior golf keys with our guest this week, Alan Bratton the head men's coach at Oklahoma State University. And I really appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, And thank you to Coach Bratton for his time and bringing some value uh, to the show, talking to us about some of his former players and giving some good advice to you players and parents that are listening, uh, talking about program culture and history and those types of things. So hopefully you're able to pull away a couple pieces of information that can help you in your journey. And um, if you took any value away from this episode, like I always ask, please share it. Please leave a review. Also, make sure that you subscribe so that you don't miss out on some of the exciting guests that we've got coming up. And I hope you join me next week for another episode of Junior Golf Keys.